Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Karen Sahadia, founder of Brand Central Marketing and a seasoned pro in creating effective lead generation and sales funnels. Facebook ads, messenger bots, and a lot more. She has helped many Fortune 100 companies and brands like Disney, Target, Warner Brothers. And now, Karen and her team regularly help digital agencies, small brands, and even new businesses compete directly against the big brands. And she says it's never been easier to do than now. I agree. I'm looking forward to hearing her thoughts on this. We're also going to talk about how systems and processes can dramatically improve the effectiveness of your business, specifically the onboarding process. We're going to talk about that too. And we're just going to dive right in. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I love talking about this stuff. Awesome. Before I get into that whole journey of the Facebook getting a customer, which is so important, I'd love to hear about your journey of how did you get into digital marketing in the first place? I'd love to hear the the background story. Uh, That's a great question. So I think like a lot of uh, solopreneurs, I tripped into it. So my background is in the, the corporate world, working with licensed consumer products. So nothing digital really about that. And when I left the corporate world, I went on to do the exact same thing I was doing in the corporate world, but for myself and for a lot of different companies. And from there, marketing is marketing to most people. They don't really understand the different aspects of marketing. And so as I was helping people market consumer products, they started to ask things like, Can you build my website? Will you manage my organic content? Will you run some paid ads for me? And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. That's that's not really what we do. That's not the plan. That's not the goal. And eventually I said, you know what? Sure, let's try this. And so I got into it a little bit, woke up one day, realized, oh my gosh, this is 60, 70% of the business at this stage. Can't be ignored any longer. It's a, there's a huge demand out there. And so took it upon myself to go out there and get really, really good at it and continue to try to get really, really good. And that's, that's what brought me to digital marketing. Wow. That's awesome. And you said a couple of things, even in that short journey statement that I'm sure you're just (laughs) glossing over so much, but marketing is marketing. I love that statement because that's really true. It doesn't matter what your outreach is. What matters is that you're actually getting the business and you're getting the customers. There's so many different ways you can do it. And digital is so huge now. Like you said, it's, become a significant part of, of business in general and also for you. You also mentioned something else, and that was you've worked you know, with the bigger brands, but actually I kind of mentioned it more in the intro, but you've told me personally kind of before our interview how that you work with the smaller brands. So how do you work with the big brands and what caused that transition for you to working with folks like solopreneurs? Right. So I work with the bigger brands. Like the, a lot of the brands you mentioned are brands that I worked with in the corporate world. And so once I left, I had those relationships still, and I continued to work with some of those brands, but that was all more in the consumer products realm. And the manufacturers I was actually representing were probably mid-sized to large companies, and then some small companies that we took on. And as we pivoted more toward digital, the cool thing about digital is it levels the playing field. And so there are very small companies, solopreneurs who are doing, I know you know this, but massive, massive businesses and experiencing massive success and most importantly, having a massive impact out there. And so that just, it really caught my attention as uh, people I really wanted to work with. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and I know solopreneurs are doing seven, eight figures and more. Oh, As yeah. a solopreneur, it can be done. But, oh, yeah. You know, you know, obviously, you don't have to make even seven figures to have a pretty nice lifestyle, but it's nice when <laughs> you can get that <laughs> level. And that's awesome. So I want to talk about one of the key ways that you help clients, and that's with Facebook ads, chatbots, that sort of thing. For those, I know some people may be living under a rock still, even though they're listening to a podcast. What's a chatbot? Yeah. So Messenger, if anybody out there is familiar with Facebook Messenger, it's a way that a lot of people communicate with their friends and they don't really think about it so much as a business tool. But by now you may have experienced uh, interacting with a business where they're replying to you or talking to you in Facebook Messenger and you kind of realize, wait, that's not a real person. And there are obviously pros and cons to every vehicle and every person has their, their preference. Some people prefer SMS and text messages. Some people prefer email communication. Some people prefer phone calls and, and some people prefer messengers. So for us, all of those things are just vehicles. And this is an area where marketing is just, it's marketing. And so having the right offer, the right message, the right communication, and then picking different vehicles by which you can execute those things. And so messenger is just another one of those vehicles. That's awesome. And also Facebook ads has really been huge for a long time. And I, I know personally, I've seen that the Facebook was really low cost and this kind of increase in cost because it's become more popular. How effective would you say today Facebook ads are? Are they still a, a good outsource? Uh, I mean, of reaching potential clients. Right. Uh, Un undoubtedly, I'm biased, right? But from what I've seen and what we've experimented with and, and other agency owners and colleagues and having conversations, Facebook is still the biggest opportunity out there. Uh, there's so much untapped demand. There are obviously a lot more people on Facebook now advertising than there were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, whatever it is. But there's still such a huge percentage of people who aren't advertising or who are doing it. but aren't doing it right. And so when I hear things like, oh, Facebook doesn't work, well, it's like any machine. It works if, you're, if you have the right inputs and you're using the tool correctly. But the, yeah, the opportunity on Facebook itself is, is absolutely huge, even with rising costs. Now, like with any marketing analysis, you need to understand your costs. You need to understand your lifetime value and how you can acquire a customer and then how you can continue to add value to that same customer over and over and over again. And that is the key to giving you the leverage in the market where you can afford to spend a little bit more to acquire that, that high value customer. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that if you did it, your lifetime value, knowing those numbers means that you know how much you can invest to capture a new customer. And then you have an idea of what that profit is going to look like over the lifetime of a customer. But you do have to know your numbers. And I've talked about this before and the podcast and my community trainings. And what's really important is that it's not how much you spend, it's how much you keep. And so if you have a return on investment, it's going to be worth your while. Now, some things may have a larger return on investment than others, but Facebook is one. Now, I'm curious about one thing, and you have a lot more experience with Facebook advertising than I do. So do you find that Facebook is more effective for B2C, you know, business to consumer, or is it still just as effective for business to business? How do people use Facebook advertising today? Both, absolutely both. Because at the end of the day, Facebook is just, it's a place, it's a gathering place. And people of all kinds are on Facebook. And so the people who work in these businesses, when you talk about B2B, those people are still people and they are still on Facebook. And they might not be on Facebook for work at that moment, but they're still on Facebook, they're still humans. And as humans, all of these 
thoughts kind of mix in our heads, like business and personal, it all starts to blend together a little bit. And so absolutely, it's, it's hugely successful for B2B and B2C. You might use different strategies and different targeting and different messaging, but definitely still viable for both. Yeah, that's great. And it's funny, we're talking about chatbots and, and I use Facebook really just for friends and family, but I also happen to participate in like five-day challenges that are made for business owners, for example. And they're using these, these chatbot messages to send me regular messages, keep me up to date on what's the step today or whatever. And I, I kind of do that as much for myself and for research, kind of combine 50-50 because I, I find it fascinating how people are using this technology and how it can be a help to even my own clients, for example, and myself. And I, I think it's awesome that you came on here to, to share a little about Facebook advertising. What are some of the things that people should look for in determining whether a Facebook campaign would be most effective for them compared to, say, some other outreach, whether it's LinkedIn or another social media network, maybe it's direct mail advertising or television or whatever, space ads. What would be part of that decision-making factor? I know we talked about ROI, obviously. Mm -hmm. that's, that's always going to be key. Is it just to test it and see what happens? Or how do you recommend somebody think before they jump into a market like Facebook advertising or using Facebook for outreach? Right. So I think part of it is, is where have you started to build your presence and where can you build your presence? And there's nothing, it's not that someone should do Facebook and should not do LinkedIn or should not do YouTube. It's a matter of pick one first, master that, get your system dialed in, get it working for you, and then move to the next one. If you try to do all of them at the same time, sometimes, especially as a solopreneur, you're trying to do too many things and juggle too many things, and then none of them end up working. So the reason that we usually tell people pick Facebook is because it's where the, the biggest opportunity lies in terms of that's where you kind of don't have to guess at whether or not your people are on Facebook. They are. They're on Facebook because so many people are on Facebook. But as far as where to start, we actually start with lifetime value. So even when someone comes to us and says, hey, can you run our ads? We start with understanding lifetime value and understanding the numbers because if you can't pay enough to acquire a customer and profit on the back end, then that's a model that even if you kind of crack, it'll never be scalable or profitable. And we are not about just driving revenue, which I know can be distracting because people look at revenue numbers, but we want to grow sustainable, profitable businesses, not just high revenue businesses. Gotcha. I'm curious, how many people come to you and they really have no clue what lifetime value is or what it might be? Because I've talked to a lot of people that never even took a look at the numbers, much less have a, a sound number. How many people do you actually have to maybe walk through that process saying, okay, what is that lifetime value and how do you calculate it? I'm curious, what's your experience there? Most people. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And it's great though. It's not really a problem in the sense that it's a problem for them if they go on like that to run their business. But it's a good thing. It's always a good conversation. And we enjoy bringing that value to the conversation. Whether we work with them or not, they need to understand that. And we talk them through that process. So if we say, what's the lifetime value of your customer? And they say, uh, uh, it varies. I don't know. I have no idea. Then we talk them through the steps of calculating that and understanding that and understanding why they need to know that before they move forward with their marketing. Yeah. And the nice thing about a profit path is that's really what it is. It's a profit path because you have your front end sales. As you know, you first get somebody in the door, you have lead generation, then you have your first sale. But the money is rarely made in the first sale. It's, it's typically what do you sell them on the back end? That's the sales you make after somebody is already a customer or a business is already a client. And if you don't have a back end, in other words, you don't have offers to make after your first offer, that's your easiest way to make more money and make that lifetime value increase is to simply 
sell more, have more things to sell. And there's a great book uh, called 80-20 Sales and Marketing. And there's going to be the clients who are the 20%. And there's going to be the people who are the 20% of the 20%. And they're going to buy the really high-end value. Not everybody will, but you ought to have those offers because that will increase your average lifetime value across the customer board. I'm just kind of throwing that out there for, for the listeners to think about. And I'm glad that you work with customers on lifetime value because I know that that's really a huge deal. What do you do with a customer? Because you do work with new businesses. How do you work with people who, I don't have a customer yet. I'm brand new. I'm coming to you to help me get customers. How do you set that out in the outline of this is what you can expect for lifetime value? Or do you have a, a formula for that? Right. So with new customers, there are a couple ways to go about it. And one of the things that I often recommend is, hey, you may not be ready to work with us yet, and that's okay. But you might, you know, we want to make sure, especially let's take a coach, for example. We want to make sure that a coach has proven their method and their process before, either on themselves or on other people. And so if you haven't done that yet, then organically get a beta group of people together, people you know, maybe people you don't know. People are always looking for support and for help in what you do, I'm sure. So Go start there and then get to know through that process who your avatar really, really is and understand them, ask them questions. And you start to form a sense of what your lifetime value could be, of what your success could be with this, how viable your offer is. So that's a really good place to start. If you're not starting there, then as far as Facebook ads go, I would start with purely a testing exercise. And so not going into it with this mindset of, I'm going to turn ads on, I'm at tons of business, and this is going to build my business from the inside out. No. First, there's this testing process where you identify who is the best persona for me. What is the best messaging? What's the best hook for them? What's the best offer for them? Once you've identified that in the Facebook ads testing process, then things get really fun because you can zero in on knowing all those things. Yeah. I'm glad you, you pointed that out because there are so many different points along the line that you can test. Test what you're handling. What's your conversion rate once they get to your sales page? Could you make a tweak to your headline? It's not only on the Facebook site. It's also once they get to your offer, what, who's accepting? Who's clicking through? What changes can you make to get a higher click-through rate? You know, Every step that you can increase the percentage on is an overall increase on your business. And I love talking about those different scalability factors. If you have a 10% conversion rate, that's great. But how many people are clicking through to your offer in the first place? That's an ad side thing. But if yeah. everybody's clicking through and nobody's buying, then it's probably on your sales page. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things that we warn people a lot about if you're running your own ads is not to manage to a specific metric because it's a big picture thing. And if you manage to one specific metric, you could cause harm to these other metrics that may have been working for you. And so it's important to look at the big picture. And yeah, it comes back to knowing your numbers, right? So making sure you know your numbers. And it's why we, when we talk to people, we don't say necessarily, even though Facebook is our primary platform, we're not just a Facebook ads agency, we're a lead generation agency because we do care about the front end, Facebook ads, all the way through to the funnel, the conversions, and that person becoming a customer. Yeah, that's great. And you also said about knowing your prospects. So you have to have a cohesiveness of the message from the first oh, yeah. contact through the sales page, through the, the follow-up, your autoresponder sequence, everything should be tailored to that particular prospect. There's so many different things that you can do to increase your relationship or to damage your relationship. It's just really a matter of knowing who you're talking to and talking to that person as a single person. Today, I'm talking to Karen. And <laughs> if I'm talking to Karen, and I start writing to Mike because I have a different person in mind than my autoresponder. That, that's not going to work as effectively. Exactly. So this is great. We talked about going into an onboarding process. And of course, like you mentioned, you're a lead generation agency. Leads are 
just that. They're an opportunity to make a sale. They're not a sale yet. But once they become a customer, then there's a process to bring them into a point where they can really be a lifetime customer or at least Mm -hmm. a a long-term customer. And that's called an onboarding process. But I want you to kind of define for our listeners, what is an onboarding process and what what does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> That's a great question. So, you know, when you someone says you're on a sales call or whatever your sales process might be, and someone has signed, sealed, delivered, paid the money, and they are now a customer. But then there's this stuff. It's just stuff that has to happen before you get to do the stuff that you do best, before you get to the real work, if you will. And so all those logistics and get access to the platforms you need to set them up in Slack, if you're going to set something up in Slack to put them in your project management system. They're just, there are all these steps that can be, as a solopreneur, can be really overwhelming and bog you down. And even with the team, it's just, it's a lot of coordination on the front end. And it's an important time frame because you're trying to make your best first impression during this time period and let that customer know that they're in really good hands, right? And so we define that onboarding process as the point from which a person becomes a customer, they pay their money, to the point that the real work begins where you get to start adding your expertise. Gotcha. Can you give us an example of what that would look like for, for any particular type of coaching business or a say they're a graphic designer or, or one of your typical customers? What yeah. would an onboarding process look like in like an example? Just kind of walk us through that. For sure. So, for, I mean, for us ourselves, we have our own onboarding process where someone signs and they pay. And then the next thing we need to do is get them information. They've just paid money. And so they want to know right away, okay, what did I get for this money? And so we want to set expectations with them. We want them to feel cared for. We want to make sure that we, as quickly as possible, get the assets that we need for them so that we can deliver for them. And we want to set up those communication channels, however they need to be. For us, it's communication channels internally with our team regarding this specific client, but also externally with that client so that everything runs really smoothly. So that's a little bit about what it looks like for us. For one of our coaching clients, it would be, let's say they have an online course and they get a new person in their online course. Right away, you log in and customers are overwhelmed. Where do I start? What do I do? I have all this anxiety, apprehension. How long is this going to take me? What can I expect? When will I get results? And so having some sort of process on the front end that would answer those questions with as little friction as possible so that when people get nervous or they need something, they quickly know where to go and where to look. That would be a coach's onboarding process. Yeah, I love that. And I'm thinking in my head right now, it's like, how could I even right now improve my processes? Because I know that we can always improve. And I'm, I'm thinking through my, my autoresponder series right now, saying like, I could probably tweak that a bit because that's not the greatest in the world right now. And I'm thinking, okay, what else can I do to improve? And I think each of us, when we're listening to this podcast, right? We're listening to this because we want ideas on how to make improvements. And I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because this is the kind of thought process that sometimes is really easy to, you get in your day-to-day business and I don't want to call it a grind because I love what I do, but sometimes important things get left to the wayside. And mm-hmm. sometimes you need to set time aside. So let me look at my processes. Let me look at what I'm doing. How do I bring a new customer on? How am I supporting them out of the gate, so to say? and I'm curious, what do you do specifically with the client? Because you help clients with their onboarding process. So how do you and your agency, what do you do with, say, you bring a new client on and they say, well, I I don't really have an onboarding process. I just start working with them. So what kind of things do you help them think through and provide? I know you kind of mentioned some of these already, but I'll let you discuss a little bit deeper. Sure. So 
one of the things, the first, it all starts with, with listening, right? So understanding what's the current experience that customers are having with you. And then the next thing is, what are things that are not working right in your business? Is it, are you having trouble with retention? Okay. Yes. What's the thing that you most commonly hear about retention? Well, it might be that, Hey, listen, you know what? I just couldn't get what I needed to get out of this online course because there's just too much. It's overwhelming. and I don't have time for it. Okay. Well, that could have been fixed in the onboarding process where you talk to your new customer, your new client and say, Hey, start here. And by the way, don't worry if you never get to all this stuff, it's all here for you. It's not going anywhere. It's a resource, but let's understand your path. So helping them understand their path and how it's relevant to them. And the biggest thing that we see is that things aren't consistent. So their customers aren't experiencing a consistent thing. Every customer's onboarding looks different than the other person's. One person knew that there was a course overview over here in this module and the other person didn't know. And this person knew what time the calls were and that person didn't know. And so what are those inconsistencies and how can we build them all in um, to an automated process? And that's really the key to what we help people with is the automation of their onboarding. So making sure that the right steps are there, but then also automating it for a few reasons. One of the reasons to automate it would be obviously that it saves you time as a solopreneur, especially what do you want more than anything in the world? You probably want more clients, more customers, but then you get them and you're overwhelmed and it's, ah, how do I onboard? How do I serve? And this helps that if you can automate it. The second thing it does increases the consistency that we were just talking about so that everyone has the same kind of experience. And then the third thing it does is help with your margins. Because if you are not having to hire an extra person just to handle new clients coming in, or if you don't have to spend quite as much of your personal time. So still making people feel attended to, but you're not spending, let's say an hour on a call onboarding every single new client. And that's, that's kind of one of the secrets to automated onboarding is to do it with personalization. So it doesn't mean just because it's automated that you rip all the personalization out of it. Right. And I love what you said there also about you know, automating Many solopreneurs, we we get overwhelmed and it's this feast and famine cycle. Like, okay, I'm working, 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 got clients. Okay, now I got to stop marketing because I'm overwhelmed. And then eventually clients do go away. And then all of a sudden like, oh no, I'm not making enough money. I'm not going to go back out there and market again. And, And you don't want that. And so automation, what you're describing, really will help you maintain the marketing without feeling overwhelmed as you're bringing new clients on. It'll help you serve your clients more effectively. They'll have a better experience. And you're not going to run that feast and famine cycle as much as you might now. So that's excellent advice. I really appreciate that. Once they get into the onboarding process, I'm curious, do you, do you continue to work with the clients through that process after onboarding? Is that kind of like where your agency stops at that point and they just work on the front end up to that onboarding? Or do you go any further than that? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's interesting because because we're primarily a lead generation agency, our focus is typically lead generation. And then what we find is that to be really successful with lead generation, it will require a degree of automation and systems and processes. Because like you said earlier, getting leads is just, that's just an opportunity, right? And so we look for opportunities uh, where we can automate a process to make it a, a better quality process and to save time so that you can turn those leads into actual clients and then turn those clients into retained clients and higher value clients. And so it actually doesn't even usually start with the onboarding. We start with the lead generation 
And then we start to find opportunities where a client could turn more of those people into clients or retain them better with these kind of automated processes. Excellent. And if you're talking about lead generation, one obvious one I'm sure you're already aware of, I'm just going to bring out for our listeners is you're onboarding a new customer. They're excited about what they bought right now. That's a wonderful time to get them invited to refer somebody else to you as business. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a really, really great point. And it's funny because most people listening right now may already be into automating parts of their sales process, their prospecting process, that, because that's the front end. A lot of people think about that. But it's people are comfortable with that form of automation where let's say you send out a mass email. You don't go and write that email one at a time to your list of 20,000 people. And so that's, that's all that is, is automation. And that bringing that same mindset to other aspects of your business, like onboarding, so that you could onboard an unlimited number of people potentially at the same time is really important to scaling your business. Awesome. And I, I know as we're coming up close to the end of our conversation here, but one thing that you have for our listeners is you actually have created an onboarding blueprint. So if you're thinking through like, okay, what is all those things that Karen just told me? How do I get through this? She actually has a blueprint available to you. And it's yours. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're just giving this away, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is our actual onboarding blueprint that we use inside our agency. And what it's meant to do is give you, if you're not an agency, that's okay. Go grab it. It's going to give you an example of how different steps, first of all, what steps should be in an onboarding process. And you may have additional steps or you may not need all the steps, but it'll help you visualize what steps are, are necessary and how they might all connect together and in what order. And then kind of the cool thing about it is, is if you look at the blueprint there on the top of the blueprint is what we experience as an agency. And you'll see that there are really only two or three touch points. We really do very little in that onboarding process because it, it's all happening automatically. But at the bottom, you'll see what the client is experiencing, which is this touch point, this touch point, this touch point, this touch point. And so that's what you want. They're experiencing a lot of attention and time, but you're not. That's awesome. That's exactly what we're talking about today is you know, making your business more effective through processes. And, and you start with you know, Facebook or social media or TV ads, it doesn't matter. But no matter what you do, you still need to have an onboarding process. And like Karen said, you need to automate that as much as possible so you can provide the best possible experience. If you're taking all of your time to directly personally personalize things, you're not going to give your customers as good of an experience as they could have when you automate things so that you know everybody has a consistent, effective, and wonderful experience working with you. And I encourage you to create her blueprint. Where would people find that? You can go over to brandcentralmarketing.com slash onboarding blueprint. And you'll just go there. You can grab it there. Just request it right there. We'll send it over to you in an email. And if you guys have any questions about it, uh, if you things are percolating and you have questions, just hit reply to the email and ask away. Awesome. And I will put that link in the show notes as well. Karen, this has been a wonderful conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com.